A new study was just released by the home improvement site Porch that named the San Luis Obispo Paso Robles Five Cities region as the fourth most expensive small metro market to rent in in the United States. A large Cal Poly and Cuesta student population and desirability in quality of life are the biggest driving factors. With interest rates on the rise and numbers trending towards a reduction in prices significantly in other parts of the country, people are starting to worry. On this episode of the Slow County Real Estate with Hal Swayze podcast, we highlight some of the reasons why. Here is Hal, JT, and Keller Williams Central Coast CEO, JP, on why you should be leery of those national reports you hear about an upcoming collapse mainstream media wants they they want they need to sell sensationalism the prices are coming down you know the market's cooling off is the bubble about to burst and all that stuff is i mean geez we're still seeing 15 percent appreciation year over year right yeah. as opposed to 25 percent appreciation that's a phenomenal market i think it was both 2018 and 2019 where we saw a really strong market in the first three to four months of the year and in the second half of the year, we couldn't use the same sales or comps because I think one of those years, there was a pretty healthy rate bump, mm-hmm. right? And we saw price drops at the end of that year. Now, over the course of a year, the prices were higher. Sure. But again, it, it moves that rapidly, right? So now when I look at these things, so with the drawdown, the lower pendings and a few more homes for sale, we don't have you know 20 buyers for every home. And where we are, our average days on the market was about a week, you know, for those that were selling. Now it might be three weeks. Which is, is still fast, but people start to get nervous because they're used to, hey, it was a week, and what you know, where are all my offers? Because yeah. that just gets ingrained in people's minds. So is now a good time to buy? Yeah, if it makes sense for you, if you're renting, of course. If you don't have much income and you don't have any you know, down payment, then guess what? Try to get involved some way. But if you're in a position to, it seems like a better option than renting. So what do you tell the, the people that are waiting for this bubble to burst? JT, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I'll let John tell that one. He's, well, he's smarter than I am. And that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't see the quote-unquote bubble, which means a a significant reduction in prices going forward, as we talked about in in prior episodes. Um, There just isn't the inventory. It's it's a supply and demand issue. If if we have uh, very little supply and our demand is fairly constant, prices can't come down in that scenario. And and there have been so few houses built over the last 10 years compared to averages mm-hmm. in our history and population has grown during that same time that it's we're, we're years away from inventory being at what we might call normal and and so what would have to happen for prices to go down is we'd have to have a whole lot of houses on the market and no buyers i just don't see that happening in fact, I heard some industry experts say that they think we've got five more years of appreciation, and they hedged that and said, I really want to say 10, but I'm kind of afraid to say 10. I mean, from 2010 to 2020, nationwide, you know, the builders got beat up in you know, 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. So a lot of the big builders are no longer around. We built a fraction of the homes we would normally build, yet mm-hmm. the, the population increased. That is a big thing, and that doesn't change overnight. Right. So that's what John's talking about. And this is not what people, people ask me all the time, are, are big investors coming in? Not here, but there are firms that's job is to, you know, make money on people's investments out there mm-hmm. buying residential real estate. That's a new phenomenon. And those folks are relatively bright and they see it. I would agree with John 100%. I mean, it's, it's just one of those situations where the supply is, is, is it, that can't change quickly. 
Right. You know, to uh, to that point, I know we, we looked at some tracked numbers uh, in the two thousand from two thousand to two thousand ten in the United States, over twelve million homes built, and then from two thousand ten to two thousand twenty, just a smidge over five million homes were built. And so, I mean, that, yeah. those numbers right there are black and white because the, as the population grows, we, we just stop building homes. And you know what's interesting, I think, about this area specifically? San Luis County has one of the highest underemployment rates in the nation. What does that mean? That means that you've got you've got people that are working in restaurants and baristas and MBAs bartending. That's exactly right. Because once they're here, they never want to leave. I'm bullish on on real estate as a, an ownership uh, from an investment standpoint uh, because it is a powerful tool to build wealth. I interview um, three or four millionaires a year. I try to get one a quarter that I've met, and they always tell me the same thing. And it is the, it's always the same that um, I made my money doing this. I built my wealth through real estate ownership. And, you know, if those are the guys that we're wanting to emulate in life, do, just do what they do. You know, no need to recreate the wheel, right? That's from an investor standpoint. But, I mean, if I'm owning a home, if I want to buy a house to live in, what is my biggest investment? It's going to be my house. Sure. And I had my grandparents, that was their retirement. They yeah. traded up, they traded up, they traded up. And then when they sold their house, they actually got a life estate, stayed in it, and they lived on the money until they died. Right. It was their retirement. Yeah. Power tool. It's huge. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have retirement. The level of their retirement depends on the equity in their home. Wow. The headlines make people feel nervous. A lot of things are changing in the economy and the world. I mean, it's changing at a rapid pace. I think change is faster than we're used to historically. One of the conversations we had, you know, before we went live on the podcast was was about housing prices and do they very often go down? You just talked about that, Jay. Mm -hmm. So if you look at a graph of housing prices and uh, you know the housing prices are going up and to the right throughout history. And as I was teasing on a couple podcasts ago, the only way you get a lower housing price is to buy a DeLorean, find Michael J. Fox, <laughs> and go back to the future. But on interest rates, now that's different, right? So if my son gets into a house this month on a little bit higher rate than he would have liked, what could happen a year, two, three, four down yeah. the road? Values are going up. Interest rates might come down. You only get one opportunity to buy. You can refinance for as long as you hold that piece of real estate. So if you don't like today's rates, and, and here's what we know, right? Um, the, the Fed was decreasing the rate to do one thing, and that was to stimulate our economy. And they did that. Like we've got our, our unemployment rate is down, gross domestic product is up, everything's looking great. Now we've got to deal with inflation. And how do they hedge inflation? By raising the rate. And one of the tools, one of the only, the major tools that the Fed has to stimulate the economy is to lower the rate. And if we're already at one or less than one, they've got nowhere to go. So the only thing that they can do, one of the bet, not there's plenty of things they can do, but one of the biggest tools they can do is to raise the rate, the prime rate, so that they have something to work with. And so, uh, JT, to your point, your son gets the house. That's the deal. He got the house. And now that he owns the house, the Fed lowers, lowers the rate because they need to stimulate the economy again. He can refinance at 5%. And if the rate goes up? He's stoked because he got in at 6 Right. <laughs> and the rates are going up because they're trying to control the increase in pricing of things. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so you're glad you have something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know who I heard talk about this, but he goes, you know, there's a reason banks won't lend you money to go buy stocks, <laughs> right? But what will they lend you money for? 
Yeah, real estate. To go buy a house. You bet. To go buy a piece of real estate. What's going to happen with the renting rates? A lot more people can get into the market when their rate's at 35 or 3%. When it goes to 5 and you're on the border, you either have to buy less house or don't buy at all. So if that reduces that, people still need a place to live. So that means there's going to be more people renting. Home ownership had gotten pretty high, and now it's probably going to drop down because the affordability between prices and interest rates. So it's going to be tougher to be a renter in terms of meaning rents will likely rise because the demand for housing is still there. Regardless of what people buy and sell houses for, the demand for a place to live is not going down. When COVID first hit in March of 2020 and kids started going home from Cal Poly, I thought to myself, hey, this is going to impact the, oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the rental rates in San Luis Obispo. And yeah, it did, but not the way I thought. I think I think I think rental uh, rates today are twenty to twenty five percent higher than uh, at the start of COVID, and I would have thought they would have gone the other way. So I'm a I'm as good at predicting the future as you are, Hal. <laughs> We're on the same boat. Yeah, it's just fascinating because there's just you know San Luis Obispo. I used to say this a long time ago is is what like a thinly traded stock, which means there's just not many shares. So we have this small housing market. And we have a lot of people competing for that small housing market. So it just makes it valuable. You know, aluminum used to be really expensive before they learned how to make it cheaply or whatever. But like it's gold is like more valuable than like silver. So so if I can go housing in San Luis Obispo, not room to build much. We don't have much more water. You know, it's not like going to expand out versus you go to Bakersfield and housing is easier to recreate. You just can't recreate it here. Right. Mm, so great point. It, it'll it's going to put that that's what keeps it strong and from fluctuating much, which is the things people worry about. Again, you can control your rate, the house price. You really can't. But the limited supply makes it a good place to be. I think you just came up with a new slogan. What's that? San Luis Obispo County, the gold standard of real estate. <laughs> to go back to James question about rents in in 1977, I was in grad school here. We rented a four bedroom house for $600 a month. And um, in 2011, the first transaction I did with you, Hal, I bought a house pretty close to Cal Poly, four bedroom house. It rented for $3,750 the first year I owned it. I, I don't have that house any longer, but if I did today, it would rent for 6,000 for a four bedroom house. You wanna ask the question about rents? Rents are just like housing prices. They're, they have gone up over time. So the moral of the story is buy a house as soon as you can. Now that you know that rental rates tend to mirror, if not be a slightly little higher than what a mortgage payment would cost in San Luis Obispo County, what are some creative ways you can go about getting qualified funding for your biggest asset? On this episode of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with Hal Swayze, Chad Van Til from Pacific Trust Mortgage and Ermina Kareem from Guaranteed Rate sit down to talk about ways they are getting creative to get the best possible rate for their clients based on their circumstances. We're certainly dealing with a little bit of change in in, in, in the market when it's related to our buyers because affordability with your increase of rates has decreased a bit. So from our standpoint, we're, we're seeing people switching a little bit over to some of the alternative products where before, I think Armina could agree that she was probably originating and, I, and our, our company as well, 90% of what we were doing was fixed rates there right. because we're at historic lows. So it was hard to not advise somebody to get into a fixed rate to go ahead and to secure it for the long run. And now we are seeing some alternative products and more of the arms come into play. They're making a little bit more sense. For the past two years, you really didn't see too much of a spread between 
the fixed rates and the arms. So the savings were small. Arms being adjustable. Adjustable mortgages, yes. Uh, So now you're seeing a pretty large gap between your fixed rate and adjustables where it may make some sense to go ahead and look at some of the adjustable rate mortgages out there. Roughly, what would be the difference today? And what would that look like? I mean, you can definitely see a spread of over a point for sure in um, or greater on the point and a half, actually, Mm -hmm. on some of the things that we've been locking recently. And and some of these offer seven, you know, seven and 10 year fixed rate period at that lower rate. So it can make a lot of sense for a buyer to be able to afford the home and bet on where the market's going to go over time. And, you know, while it's been a bit of whiplash over the last six months and There have been challenging conversations I'm sure you've also had. You know, when we step back and we look at where we are today, let's just say in the fives, um, you know, Freddie Mac has put out average rates over the last, since 71, I want to say, and the 50-year rate is 7.8 between 1971 and 2021, the average mortgage rate, 7.8%. And so when you look at where we are, it's a shift in the market, there's no doubt about that, but we continue to be at a place that is low historically, Uh, just not as low as people were experiencing. So we got accustomed to a lower rate. Now we get a little bit frustrated. So when the rate's higher, because you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that why you guys keep wine in your office to give to your clients? There it is. Tell them about that. Today's rates versus what they yeah. are. Pain a little yeah. bit. The perceived Soft pain. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I got into the business in the 90s, uh, and we, we were doing cartwheels when we broke 8% that was there. And uh, it, it was it was exciting times. When we saw them in the, the twos, obviously, it, it's been unprecedented. Nobody's seen anything like this. So 5% overall is still good money out there. It's just, once again, hard to swallow when we were looking at 2-3% only a handful of months ago. Yeah. Right. You couldn't get that on a car when I was younger. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. What did I hear somebody say? So you got to deal with the reality. You know, the truth will make you mad before it sets you free. Um, but I, I, we're seeing it from my perspective. I think people have now kind of adjusted to it. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, okay, well, this is what mortgages are. We're going to deal with that. But the fact that you have those options sounds good. Do you guys do any of those three? Well, you, I'll have you explain it, but like a three, two, one. Is that common? Because that was common, I don't know, the early 90s or something like that. We used to see a lot of those where you can buy, you get a fixed rate, but you buy it down over the term. Are you seeing any of that? or is that Coming back a little bit. We didn't see them in the last couple of years because you couldn't do a three, two, one buy down when your rate was 2%. You'd be, <laughs> you'd be inverted interest rate. So, yeah. So, unfortunately, we didn't have any inverted interest rates to offer, uh, yeah. but you, we are starting to see them coming back yeah. uh, a little bit. Uh, we're also looking at some tools like 40 year amortization yeah. out there as well, okay. uh, which is uh, you know a little more affordable for people to get into with, with, that, uh, with that program. Uh, there's also interest only loans out there as well that are. Uh, interest only for the first 10 years and then fixed out for the last 30 years. So okay. it offers some of that payment flexibility for those first initial 10 years, but also the stability of a fixed rate in case we do you know, shoot up in rates. But as you as you can attest to more than anybody here, your average homeowner isn't in their home for 10 years right. uh, for the most part. So right. you know, looking at some of the adjustables right now, especially when you're getting into the first time home buyers, the transition buyers, it usually they're not going to see it even go to the term for the seven right. years that Ermina was speaking about, the, the five, seven, or ten years that are your most typical uh, adjustable rate periods. It, it, it's interesting because uh, 
for a long time, people didn't want to sell their homes, which were highly appreciated because they had this low tax rate, which is great. But then it's like, oh, we would move, but you know, we got this low tax rate. Now, if you have a 2.75 or a three and a quarter, I, you know, that's going to limit our inventory because it's like, mm, I don't want to let go of that. Sitting on it. I really want to move, but I got this cheap rate. You know, it almost landlocks, I mean, kind of mm-hmm. people in their houses. So you said, Chad, and I'm not sure we agreed on this, you said the average person does not stay in their house 10 years. Or does correct does not okay they move before that yes they yeah. Move. yes okay. yeah that's I think it's longer than it used to be mm-hmm. but if that's the case then you would do the John Turner strategy right I'm going to do a five a seven one adjustable rate mortgage because I know something's going to happen in my life where I'm not going to keep a thirty year mortgage I'm going to move or I'm going to need to maybe take some money out of my equity something's going to happen in my life. And I mean, so people know what's a five or seven one that John was yeah, talking about. I mean, how do you describe so, that to the like? First yeah, absolutely. Time so, you know, um, it's the period of which the the mortgage is fixed. So the five year, seven year, or ten year fix. You'll see minor differences in rate um, for those periods. There are some different qualifications based on a five year versus a seven or a ten. But essentially, it means that you are locked in at a lower introductory rate for that period of time for your thirty year loan and then it ties to um, movement with a, a market index. So I'm a first-time home buyer, and I've been looking for a year, and you know how hard it's been to, to find a house. Now I've found the house, and interest rates have gone up a couple of points, right, or more. What's the conversation look like when I'm sitting talking to you about how, how I proceed and how am I going to be able to afford this house because the rates are up? What's that conversation look like with you guys? And how do you coach me and advise me? Well, you sit them down first with a glass of wine. If they, if they haven't been uh, informed or in Perfect. contact with you uh, yeah. to brace from where the rates were. Uh, and it's really, you know, starting with what they could afford. Uh, yeah, that's where we always, because there's a difference between what you could qualify for and what you could afford based right. on what your comfort level and, and budget is. And we go ahead and try to really work around uh, what that comfort in their, their household budget is. And then really also try to talk about what their plan is for this house. Sometimes when you're doing a pre-qualification, it's hard to know what their exact plan is for the house if they haven't picked out the house. But usually if it's a first-time home buyer, they're getting into something uh, that once again, maybe for that three to five to seven year period, because it's going to be a starter home, maybe they're going to plan on having kids, so uh, they may need an extra bedroom, and, and really try to go ahead and, and fit this this home and their purchase into what their financial plan is, and, and really focus on really what it is they could afford, and then work into the product from there, whether it's the three, the five, or the seven year fixed, or a 10 year fixed, or maybe it does need to be a 30 year fixed, because that's what's going to make them sleep best at night, because mm. some people just are very risk adverse, and they don't want to know that somewhere down the road that that interest rate may change. You know, I want to jump on to some of what Chad was saying as well. I mean, I think that when you're talking particularly to a first-time home buyer who's been, you know, watching the market change in front of them, and hopefully, as Chad was referencing, you've already been having conversations along the way. They're tracking what's happening through their search process because you're partnered with them. You know, we're partnered. Lenders are partnered with agents 
to help serve the client. I think so much of it is also around um, addressing these myths we hold about uh, buying a home in this country. I think there are myths around, well, you have to have 20% down. Well, no, you don't. Or myths like uh, mortgage insurance is bad. Well, no, it's not necessarily bad. If it's going to help you, you know, if you can, it can be a much more affordable option to get into a home and put less down. And rates can be actually quite attractive. Um, or you can buy out your mortgage insurance in front. And so there's so many tools. It's it's really the strategy that's going to fit somebody else's life and helping them to understand what the tools are available to them and confronting the storylines we may carry. You know, there's a lot of shame in money also. And so helping people to understand you don't you're not supposed to know this. This is not it is not your business. It's our business. And we're here to help you with that. To contact Ermina or Chad or any other highly recommended San Luis Obispo County lender, give Hal a call at 805-329-3247 or hit the contact link at halswayze.com. That's H-A-L-S-W-E-A-S-E-Y.com. And what's an episode of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast without a time machine reference from JT and a shameless plug for Team Swayze? The only way to get lower prices is to buy a DeLorean, get with Michael J. Fox, and go back to the future. (laughs) And 1955, is that what it was? Uh, Hal, any final thoughts for us? Um, Yeah, just if you're, just get educated. You know, take a look at what the the financing looks like. If you're not sure, if you have doubts, you know, give give somebody reputable a call and see what historically it's looked like, and you just go, oh, okay, we should be in the market. Yep. Mike Ferry was doing some coaching for first-time home buyers, Hal, and he said there were three things you needed to do to to get started. And the first one was identify the community in which you want to live. Fair. And the second one was uh, find a lender who can help you get started and figure out how much house you can afford. And the third one was select an agent. And uh, as I think about those three things, I would put them in reverse order. Select an agent first because that agent can help you do the other two. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, a good agent, you know, if I'm looking out of the area, will know the best lenders. They'll know the best neighborhoods. So, yeah, I mean, sounds like a plug, but it's true. Thank you for listening to the House Wazy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. It comes out every Monday, so check for it in your feed for the latest information on the San Luis Obispo County market. The Slow County Real Estate with House Swayze podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and on housewayze.com where you can find current listings and other real estate tips. Housewayze.com, that's H-A-L-S-W-E-A-S-E-Y.com. I am James Bueno, Director of Marketing for the House Swayze Group. If you're looking for anything real estate, give us a call, 805-781-3750. House Swayze is a licensed California real estate broker, DRE number 01111911. The Slow County Real Estate with House Swayze Podcast is a production of AGM Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.